Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to A Week in the News, a new podcast from The Chronicle and The Journal discussing all the best issues that we've seen in the papers this week. I'm Chris Scott, the social media editor for the two papers, and I'm joined today by Antonia Padgett from The Mirror, Mikey Reynolds from The Daily Record, Gemma Crew from The Press Association, and Michael Reyes, also from The Press Association. Hello all. Hi. Hi. Okay, so the first issue we're going to discuss this week is the Shore Star Centres. Now, there's been a £5 million budget cut announced by the Newcastle uh, City Council. The council have been told that they must save nine, £90 million uh, pounds over the next three years, on top of the already £151 million they've saved through cuts since 2010. Now, there's 20 shore start centres in the northeast, And so, Mikey, can you explain what these shore start centres are and why like, these cuts are going to be bad for the northeast? Yeah, essentially, sure start centres were a way of bringing together all the kind of early years care, so things like childcare, education, health, it was all put into one centre by the Tony Blair's Labour government. Uh, and that policy continued and was... Uh, it was ring-fenced up until about 2010 when the coalition government changed that and made the money just free. The money that they would have got for sure start was then freed up. They could use it to put more into schools, more into roads... That kind of thing, and since then, a lot of councils have had to cut back on the Sure Start centres, which provide all that early years care in one place. Uh, and on the meeting on Wednesday night, Newcastle City Council were discussing how, for the first time, they're going to have to cut back on Sure Start centres and maybe take from the school's budget to keep them going. Um, something that the council doesn't want to do, but because of the funding cuts, it's became a harsh reality, and not just for Newcastle, but all around the country. Jeremy, mm. you were at the meeting as well on Wednesday night. You know what was said? Was there a heated debate? You were telling me before. Yeah, I was there, and um, for me, what I got from it was just this real sense of desperation. Um, Nick Forbes, uh, the leader, the leader of the Labour Council, was talking about the opposition that they've had um, from people who are really keen to keep the short start centres open, and um, he was just saying that. You know, he he can't really cut from anywhere else. People are saying to him that that. They should be, you know, cutting from these other areas, but they've preserved Shore Start for well since 2010 when the ring fence was lifted, and there's really nowhere else for them to cut from. So, so for me, I I I felt there was a real sense of desperation there. I think it's also interesting that um, you know one point that should be considered in this whole argument is that actually money saved in this area will actually not be a saving in the long run because the money that is spent on children and giving them a Shore Start. If that is not there and that security isn't there, then later on they might put more pressure on services which might result in the council actually having to spend more on each individual person. Um, Nick Forbes called it um, a counterproductive austerity. I think that was what he, what he said. Yeah, was that, that was right, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, well, it's interesting. And one thing that struck me and maybe the listeners and our readers won't know is um, the percentage of like the council tax and how much money that gives to the city council 
Michael, you, you know, you saw this. You saw this. You were there on Wednesday. Yeah. Can you explain this a little <clears throat> bit further? Yeah. Well, uh, Nick Forbes was quite animated about this. He was uh, quite unhappy about it. Um, basically, 11% of the current uh, income tax the city council gets is uh, basically we only get 11% of the whole revenue from council tax, which is a surprisingly small percentage in regards to other places in the country. Um, basically, it's because there's a higher number of smaller properties in Newcastle City Centre itself, um, and it means that the um, properties are in the A and B bands, um, which is another factor which he claims is ignored by central government when it comes to giving out funding. Um, he also says that um, basically, because um, we have a lot of students in Newcastle that don't pay council tax, um, that is ignored. He's claimed that um, it's basically been a bad deal for the council. He does like having a high uh, student population, but he just thinks that the, the central government don't take that into consideration when they're delving out. Basically saying that the North East is basically hindered yes, yes. by the amounts of people who live in the city and aren't paying tax compared to other big metropolitan centres. Yeah, but I don't think he meant that in a negative way against students. I just think he meant that uh, the government don't realise that up here. I do think that point should be taken, you know, with also recognising that mm. students are a massive, like, economic benefit to the city, and I think that, you know, in the discussion on Wednesday, that was slightly overlooked. It has been reduced, he did say that as well. Mm. I think it's really interesting also that there are councils elsewhere in the country that, um, you know, they, they don't rely on central government so much for their support. Mm. So, really, not only are we facing horrific cuts across, you know, all areas, actually the northeast is, is being disproportionately affected, and I, I think that's a really key point to remember. Well, the, th- the thing is, you know, we look at that 11% comes from council tax, the rest is we, we do in the northeast rely on these um, the, these government funds, and, you know, there's an extra, what was suggested on Wednesday night, is £385,000 is needed for what the council says for these short start centres to move forward. The suggestions being that schools in the North East are going to have to pay for this. Now, I don't know many schools that can afford to contribute so much money. And you know, We ran a story last week where there was a double-decker bus purchased by one of the schools um, and converted into a classroom for the kids because they couldn't afford to extend the school and everyone thought, oh, that's a great idea, that's really novel, everyone wanted to get taught in a double-decker bus, it's really cool. And it is cool, I suppose, you know, when you're at school, you're probably thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to school today, I'm going to be learning in the bus. But the, on the flip side of that, it's really sad that it's come to this. Who's supposed to put this £385,000 forward if you can't even afford a classroom mm-hmm. for the kids to go to that are actually attending the school, never mind investing in kids who aren't even... At at, um, at the school yet? Mm. Who pays for that, Michael? Um, well, it's difficult. Obviously, the council will argue that they're putting as much money to schools as they can. Um, but obviously, I think the fact that they have to go to school in a bus is absolutely ridiculous. I know it seems like quite an edgy idea, and it's quite. The congratulations to the school, really, because I think they've actually thought outside the box and they've made it something mm. that could potentially be funny. Uh, but overall, I think it's actually. Um, it's just signifies what tough times we're in at the minute. Does, it, does anybody in the room think that schools should be made to pay for this or do we think the responsibility lies with the council? No. I, well, I believe schools have a, a huge impact on a child's life, so I do think they should be um, given the money maybe to spend uh, in, that, in, in them situations. They should be, sort of, what's the way to phrase it, um, 
they should be the the main force in driving funding for that for teaching for developments. <coughs> um, on Michael's point, it goes back to something else that was mentioned at the meeting. Cutting funding to the sure start centres doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a saving, because now people that would have went to a sure start centre for their child's health care, for daycare, they'll turn to other council services. So the bills for GPs will rise while the sure start bills are going down. And it's a similar thing with the schools, like why we're saying that the schools should get more money, then where does the money come from? Because in Newcastle's case especially, they get a set grant, which is 80-90% of their budget from central government. And sometimes, as it seems from the meeting on Wednesday, there just isn't enough to go around and they're having to make tough decisions and it's a shame. But these decisions have to be made, they need to keep the city running. One economic plan that's being put forward uh, by Goldman Sachs chief economist Jim O'Neill is that this plan of Devo Met. Now, Mikey, this is devolution is a topic that's very close to your heart. You know, being a Scotsman, um, can you explain what the difference between Devo Met and what Scotland were aiming for in Devo Max is, please? Devo Met is essentially giving more power to cities uh, as opposed to regions or areas. I think, though, when I say cities, it's metropolitan areas. So in the northeast, for example, I think Newcastle, Sunderland, Gateshead would be a metropolitan area. The same way, like Manchester, Bury, Oldham, the surrounding areas would be a metropolitan area. And it's given more decision making power and more fundraising power to those areas. Mm. Whereas Devo Max in Scotland was. What we had already was essentially what Devo Met would be, which is the status quo in Scotland. Devo Max extends that further, which would give us full tax powers and just other powers that we don't have. So the Devo Met proposal is essentially what Scotland's had since 1999, whereas mm. Devo Max is. The next logical step for that is devolving more of the power. Well, I've got to ask, which way did you vote? Um, I voted yes, just simply because I thought that decisions should be made within the country. So if there's a decision being made that affects Scottish people, it should be made in Scotland by Scottish politicians. And I know we've already got our own parliament, but there are some things that we did reserve matters in Westminster that we just can't decide on mm-hmm. and so those decisions are taken 300 or so miles away yeah. Michael you're shaking your head while Mikey's talking there you know you're <coughs> a proud son of this of the Newcastle you know yeah. do you not think that Newcastle should be in charge of its own destiny um, I do I just disagree on the whole Scottish thing just because I think we are Britain and we are one and that's just the way I think that's just the way I think I don't think we should, I think we're one sort of big country rather than just being England and Scotland but on the devolution sort of side of things, I'd say as me being brought up in Newcastle, I just see there's this sort of a thing in society where we just feel like we don't, we're always just left out. Like when it, it's all what's going on about uh, down down south, it's just it just seems like we're starting to be forgotten about all the way up here. So I think if we had our own powers, um, we'd be able to progress more into the economy better. Okay, um, you know we've got a nice little split in the office here, uh, in the office here today. We've got Michael and Mikey on the northern side, and obviously myself, as you can tell from my accent, I'm also from the north. And we've also got Gemma and Antonia, who are from the south. Now, Antonia, you're from the like the mirror, you know, heart of London, London's smart tabloid, if you want. Like, what do you th- make of all this devolution? Well, in all honesty, I can't talk with much authority on it because. It's, it's very much an argument that I've been aware of for some time, and even more so now that I've been in Newcastle for a couple of months. But beyond that, it's something that I'm aware of, but something that I've never actively engaged in. And I mean, maybe that says about talk, 
that is re reflective of the whole issue as a whole, that actually it's not being talked about in London with the same, you know, enthusiasm that you mm. would like it to be up north. But beyond that, I, I can't say, really. Are you, are you keen for it to take place, or do you think that power should lie with London? I can understand why people in the north are keen for it to happen, but, again, I can't say with any authority what, like, what would be the best situation to, you know, come out of it, really. But, yeah. Gemma, what do you think? Well, I agree with Antonia in the sense I can't. I feel it difficult to really emotionally engage with this issue. Um, I guess the simple reason is where I come from. Um, to put it bluntly, we have all the money there. Um, it, it's not <laughs> such a such a motivation for us. Um, but I mean, an interesting point was put forward by Nick Forbes um, on Wednesday. Um, he made the argument, which is quite compelling actually, that um, for the economic benefit of the whole country, it's actually better for individual cities to have more control over their own budgets um, and then that will, will benefit the um, economy as a whole. Mm. I do think it's important and I think you know, greater autonomy would lead to you know, better decisions being made for each area that has devolved powers but you know, it's a massive undertaking so mm. you know, I just think Nick, someone like Nick Forbes, someone in his position should have more power because he is in the heart of the city so he knows mm what's going on in Newcastle more than what it's somebody knows It's interesting that you, you say that, Michael, because I, I do wonder if, if devolution did the care that maybe there would be a greater turnout in local and regional elections. Yeah, I, if, yeah. if there's not so much a, a mayor, but your MP mm. is in charge of this council like council budget and like more decisions are being made on a local basis. But at the same time, it does worry me that if devolution takes place, there will be this added layer of bureaucracy mm. for, and the, the money's going to be you know, just trapped through these red, this red tape and it's never going to get to the people who need it. So there's a lot of different things and we're going to definitely watch as this, you know, de develops over the coming weeks. Um, our next story that obviously was a massive story for the, the Chronicle and the Journal this week is um, the sad, um, well, apparent death of Sean Foster um, who fell from the Time Bridge um, on Friday. Um, he's a dad of a seven-month-year-old uh, baby, um, and was, you know he was only 23, and the suggestion is he's taking his own life. Um, a text message he sent his sister um, in the early hours of the morning uh, before he went missing. Massive search operation under, uh, still going on, uh, in looking in the Tyne River for his body by the Marines, the RAF, the Coast Guard, and the emergency services. Um, question to you guys is that under the age of 50 suicide is the biggest killer of men which is staggering for me um, you know when you think of other diseases like cancer and heart disease and um, all these different things is this a male thing is this is this a is this something that we don't talk about as men as the macho stereotype is you keep yourself to yourself you're not allowed to feel any emotion you know um Mikey, I'll go to you first, being a macho man yourself. Um, is this is this just a male problem? I think it is predominantly a male problem as far as not being able to speak about feelings and feeling that you have to bottle it up. I mean, I'd like to think that like it's 2014 and we've come a long way. When you look at statistics like suicide being the biggest killer under 50, it's obviously not far enough and there is a big difference. Like even still at schools, like, for boys to talk about their feelings, it's sometimes even unthought of, like, girls would always get together and they'd talk about everything, but for guys, they would talk about they would talk about football, 
who talk about the telly. That's it. Mm. Like you, you just don't imagine in schools that, and I, I'm not that long at a school that I don't think it's changed greatly. Like you wouldn't be able to sit down and have a real in-depth discussion about feelings with somebody. You would keep it to yourself. And I think that's what's causing these problems. And obviously, nobody knows what was going on in this particular guy's life. But he obviously had some problems that even just from sending that text message whether it was suicide or not and if there was something there, if he had felt it was okay to talk, maybe we wouldn't be dredging the time looking for his body if there was avenues that would have allowed him to talk. Mm, definitely. And I think, you know, Antonia, like women seem more communal as a as a whole. Like, you know, you guys get together, you talk about everything. You know, I'm going to shut up now because the male in the room shouldn't talk <laughs> well, about I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that you've just, you know, you've turned to Mikey and said you're a macho man and you've t- turned to me mm-hmm. as a woman and said that you, you know, you're more communal. And actually, like, I think this is a massive problem at the moment and it's something that um, Emma Watson stood up recently and did a speech at the UN for launching a campaign, He for She. And actually, feminism is it's a notoriously dirty word to a lot of people, especially men. You might think that, you know, we use it as a shut-up, turn-off or something like that, or, you know, we use this to par you off, which is, you know, a common misconception because actually feminism is as much for men as it is for women. Um, and what Emma Watson highlighted in her speech is that actually, like, the, stereo- the gender stereotypes that women feminists are fighting against are also very much applied to men. If you've been told that you, you know, should bottle up your feelings and you can't talk about it, well, that is a very male stereotype that should be challenged by men in just the same way that, you know, women are challenging the gender stereotypes that mm. we may have been placed in. I, th- I think the question I was trying to put to you was, do you feel a lot more comfortable going to speak to girlfriends or or just people in general about your feelings rather than you know I would imagine the three lads in the room feel going to speak to someone about theirs well I'd I'd say generally yes but I you know again don't like to pigeonhole because I would like any of my male friends to feel that they could talk to me about a problem and I do like to think that I would put that across and I, I'm disappointed if they feel from you know external pressure that they can't do that because that you know it's very much open and I think a lot of women put out those sort of signals but maybe it's not reciprocated. Mm, well, for me personally, I don't know, but um, I haven't had any trouble like this, I and mean, obviously it's an awful tragic um, story that's happened. Um, but basically, I would say it's just about trying to be able to talk to people, anyone. I mean, I'm not even talking about. Um, your friends talk to anyone literally uh, you'll find I remember uh, this is even going to the ashes um, Matt Pryor cricketer for England talked down a potential uh, a person who was trying to commit suicide off uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge and he just chatted him never met him in his life and just talked about it and uh, I just believe if you just get it off your chest it's like a, they always say like they'll do a cliche a problem shares is a problem halved well it's, it's interesting you say that. Um, I was at the um, outside monument uh, last week when it was um, World Mental Health Day, and um, I saw these people that, um, I mean, there was there were 70 plus organizations, big and small, um, and for me, it's like the help is out there, but people don't know about it, maybe, or, or mm. they don't feel like they can access it, and I yeah. think that's especially true true for men. Yeah. Um, also, there's there's a different side to it as well, which is that some some forms of mental illness can be talked about more easily than others. And whereas there's been a sort of great rise in people addressing depression, there are other issues uh, like bipolar and perhaps PTSD 
that are less discussed, mm. and I think that could be brought out as well. Well, let's, well, let's talk about PTSD then, because obviously um, Sean Foster was a soldier, he was a veteran, um, and there's been suggestions that um, he was suffering with a, like a, a mental disorder, perhaps PTSD, and um, are veterans given the support that they need when they come out of the army? Because I, I know um, from living in Texas, and I, and I met a lot of US veterans, I haven't met too many UK veterans but the US veterans they said that they had extensive training as soon as they came into the army extensive training um, everything that you'd want it might be a year might be two years and then they did a couple of tours of Iraq or Afghanistan they came back and they do like this week course about how to adapt to society again and they just said it wasn't enough and many of them suffered with PTSD for years after that and I just kind of think this is a you know we're letting down the heroes of the country people who've gone out there and fought for the country and you know, we are letting them down as a society as a whole, Antonio. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting topic to discuss, and I will sort of answer your posed question with another question. I think there are a lot of charities which are very visible to the public and to soldiers, you know, Help the Heroes. You know, there are very few people who don't know what that charity is and who it, who it helps. But I think, you know, there can often be a focus on physical disabilities for veterans, and I think, you know, areas like PTSD are untouched by a lot of charities and unspoken you know back to you know a stereotypical view of men i think the army is a very you know male space and so you know if there is a culture of you know not talking to people then that's very much perpetrated there and i think men in the army might not find the support they need from the charities that are there to help them when they leave the army yeah i think that's right like just even thinking about the army like the image people have of the army in their head is one where it's it's men being men and fighting for their country and there's never any space you think when you think of the army for people to talk about how they feel for even people after it like I don't know if I don't, and I don't know if it's because of the difference between somebody that served for their country and me but I don't think I'd be comfortable asking somebody about that and I think if you reverse it they might feel that they're not comfortable talking to somebody who doesn't know uh, what they've been through whether they've seen mm. terrible horrors in their tours like they might feel that they're not comfortable talking about that and it leads to things like this where people who have served in the military just feel like there's nowhere for them to turn. Um, and like This isn't an isolated story of an ex-soldier falling on hard times. Like It happens more than we would like and I just think it's they just don't feel like they've got somewhere to turn sometimes. You know, I've obviously I've, I've not been in the army myself so this is um, supposition but really it, for me it seems like... Um, this idea of, of suppressing how you're feeling and being mentally strong and, and not um, speaking out when things get hard is, is actually ingrained in, in the training itself that you get given right from the start of being in the army. And so I think if you've had that ingrained in you and really instilled for all those years, then it must be a really difficult thing to, to shake off and admit because it, it is a kind of a form of mental weakness. It, it's, a, it's an illness and it's... Um, it, it's not being strong anymore and I think it can be really hard for these people to, to get their heads around that Yeah, I would just like to touch on what uh, Mikey was saying um, about sort of the army feeling that you couldn't go to talk to someone I think that I know some soldiers and I think that they love being a soldier they love being tough and they love being you know mentally strong and everything And but I think it's just the way they've trained. I think it is just the way they've trained in the army. But I'm not saying it's right. I think it's we are letting our country down by um, 
I mean, a week after you've finished the tour, uh, what? How, how are they meant to teach you to get back in the society when you've been... After after qualified, that, that was the US. I'm not sure yeah, what the well, UK situation is. Okay, but, uh, but yeah, well, I agree they've with you. clearly got it wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I hope that's not the case over here. Then? Sorry. Um, just just the thing about the US is that um, when you come back from a tour or you're ready to leave the army, you do like a week, two week um, camp so that prepares you to get back into society. Apparently, mm. it really doesn't work, unfortunately. But I do think the US has a lot more issues with their veterans than we do here. But yeah. You know, so we'll move on from that. Um, really good points made there, and if anyone um, is struggling out there, we'll be sure to put some links with this podcast um, that might be able to help anyone out there. Cause, and we definitely encourage you to talk. You know, um, there's nothing nothing worse than feeling like you've got no one to talk to and you're alone. So please go out there and talk. Um, speaking of talking, there's a new segment that we're going to start this week called Babbling On, and this is just. Topics that we might have seen this week, it can be anything that while you're over the, uh, away over the weekend having a drink with your mates that you might be talking about. So, uh, Michael, what's your babble this week? Um, basically, well, I went to the Newcastle match last week, but uh, obviously over the Tannoy there was a bigger celebration when we found out the Sunderland score uh, at the end of the game, because <laughs> of the boring game at Newcastle. Uh, basically, the amount of own goals that were scored this weekend was ridiculous, and I must say, I've just got to mention what I'll be talking about in the post, Virginie's finish, because I'm pretty sure Alan Shearer and Kevin Phillips would have been proud of that one. If it was special, that, if it, yeah, if it was at the right end, it's a hell of a goal. I don't really know how he managed it. It was great. <laughs> uh, Gemma, what's your babble this week? Well, uh, I attended a really interesting seminar on body language in the interview situation and uh, I found out that every human on earth, no matter where they're from, automatically raises their eyebrows whenever they greet somebody. And that's because as humans, we're the only mammals who have whites around our eyes and we're trying to make it seem like we're open to meeting, so we expose more of our eyes. Conversely, if we're upset or on our guard, we frown. So we put our eyebrows together and our eyes close up and it's a way of kind of showing hostility. I'm going to be really conscious about what I'm doing with my eyebrows now. <laughs> and then one other random fact that um, I got was that women, if they cross their legs and then they can tuck their um, foot behind the leg which is underneath, and men can't do that. Is, um, that, is that like double crossing your legs? Or? Yeah, it's like putting your leg over your one leg and then putting that ankle underneath like oh, you can't do it. No, I, I can't for a podcast, but Michael just tried this. And for health and safety reasons, men do not try that, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Mikey, what's your bubble? Um, <laughs> Moving on from that. I'm a huge comics fan, um, and I was interested to see there was an auction here on Tyneside for comics, and just the price that some of them went for was pretty spectacular. Um, when you look at the covers of them, they go, it was like eight cents and ten cents when they were first on sale, and now the Top selling one, the first issue of the Avengers was worth £1,100 at an auction. And I just thought it was mental money for comic books, but it's interesting that even 50 years on, they're still pulling in those type of, that type of money, they're still highly collectible. And it's maybe because of films and they're just back out there, but I just thought it was mental that something that somebody would have paid pennies for 50 years ago can now get you get your trip to America to buy yourself some more comics. <laughs> Did you manage to buy one yourself? <laughs> Unfortunately not, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Antonia, what's your babble this week? 
My Bubbles quite a strange one this week. Um, I thought I'd just mention a very weird video that I stumbled across on YouTube last night. Uh, it features a cameo appearance from the Chief Whip, uh, Mr. Gave himself, um, rambling into a garden. Rambling is the only word that can be used, and I think it is used <laughs> in the video itself. Does he really just wander into a man's garden? No. It's a very uncomfortably staged video, and I do <laughs> suggest everyone watches it, because just to see Michael go squirm is funny enough in itself but he's also attacked by a dog and he just talks <laughs> about the Class, HBO yeah. series Game of Thrones in very weird terms for about a minute hmm. um, I would recommend it to everyone and there will be a link underneath the podcast last but not least Chris what's your bubbling on mine's a mine's a bit geeky compared to everybody else's <laughs> and uh, I'm a massive history fan and um purchased the book this week and it's a book I've read before but I've struggled to find it it's called The Broken Spears and The Broken Spears is basically a first hand indigenous account of when the conquistadors um, came to Mexico and it's fascinating really because when they first came over there was a story in the native religion that of these white gods who would come back on these steeds of fire and when they'd never seen a horse before and they'd never seen a white man before and they thought they were gods and it's amazing to see the first-hand accounts of how they treated them when they showed them around um, Mexico City, Teotihuacan, as it was called back then. And it's just an absolutely fascinating, fascinating account um, because a lot of indigenous history was unfortunately lost and um, burnt and just destroyed by the conquistadors when they came over. So it's a very rare piece of history that we can uh, divulge. It's very clear to all listeners that Chris is trying to engage us because his eyebrows are going <laughs> mental. <laughs> Thank you, Gemma, for that. Yeah, OK. And on that note, uh, uh, we'll leave it for this week. We'll be back next week with four new hosts, which is a shame, really, because you guys have been so fascinating. It won't be, yeah, it won't won't be, be as good. good. No. It won't be, it won't be as good. <laughs> well, you might, you might get invited back then if it's not. Um, so... Bye, Antonia Padgett from The Mirror. Bye. Uh, bye, Mikey Reynolds from The Daily Record. Okay, bye. And bye, Gemma and Michael from The Press Association. See you later. See ya. Uh, and from that, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.